This is a Brain Channel program. Visit us at uctv.tv brain to explore cutting-edge research, treatment options for conditions related to the nervous system, and the inner workings of the human mind. Greetings, Bill Motley for the Sanford Institute for Empathy and Compassion and for this, uh, our Compassion Forum series, where I get a chance to talk with uh, really remarkable people, um, especially local people, local leaders, people who are making a difference at UCSD and doing it with empathy and compassion. It's really uh, a privilege and an honor to have Pradeep Kosla, Chancellor, 8th Chancellor of the University of California, San Diego, uh, with me uh, today. And I uh, want to just make a personal statement that I've, I've, I've been so impressed by Pradeep's leadership and his skill, his dedication to this institution, but to the integrity of the academic operation that he oversees. And so it's a real, it's a real pleasure to talk with him now in this difficult time. And Pradeep, everyone will know your name, but not everyone will know about Pradeep, the right. computer scientist, uh, professor, uh, former dean and chancellor. Tell us about Pradeep. So thank you, Bill. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. And uh, thank you for your leadership, too, in what you're doing and leading this Compassion Institute. Extremely important, very timely, and nobody but you could have done this. So thank you very much. Um, let's see. Where do I start uh, about who I am or who am I? Uh, so let me just start with uh, when I first came here, you know, just like any immigrant, I came here to basically get a PhD and I wanted to be a researcher. I want to be a faculty member doing research and be famous. And never in my wildest dream did I imagine that a person of uh, my background and uh, ethnicity would at some point in my career lead a major research institution in this country. Uh, so for which I'm very thankful. So I came to Carnegie Mellon, amazingly, to do a PhD in what is called Computer Control of Power Systems. Because at that time, I thought in 1982, they were going to be controlled by computers. Uh, and not hand controlled. I walk in and the professor says, you know what, I don't do that anymore. The information you have is in this booklet, which is like two years old or three years old. I moved on. And well, that's the beginning of the age of the internet, right? So I said, oh, okay, so what do you do? He says, I do this new thing called robotics. I said, okay, I'll do that. So, so at Carnegie Mellon, they had just uh, announced a robotics institute. Uh, and I was one of the first PhDs in that area. And I think the rest is history. When I graduated, they uh, kept me there. They didn't want me to go away. Uh, and I spent 30 years out there going from assistant professor to dean of engineering to university professor. Mm -hmm. And then this opportunity came along and uh, I could not have been more fortunate. So here I am. And in the middle, I took three years off to spend time at DARPA, which is Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, where I managed large-scale programs. Again, uh, dumb luck. I went there in 94, right when the Mosaic browser was announced. And that led to me putting programs in internet-based collaboration and what the web was going to be and how we're going to use the web. So I was fortunate to be at the start of one more revolution, which is the creation of the web. Well, it's very important for me to make it clear to people that we were very fortunate that you came here. Um, I know the enormous uh, progress that's been made. Our research, for example, research funding 
has gone from about $950 million when you came to more than $1.4 billion now. I mean, the blossoming of our faculty and of our research, but at the same time, of our civic awareness, of our commitment to the community, these have all really flourished under your leadership. Now, thank you. And this is very impressive, Bill, because I did all of that without writing a single proposal. Uh, I have not written a single proposal here, unlike when I was at Carnegie Mellon. I'm kind of being uh, partly joking out here. It is the hard work of the faculty. The faculty write the proposals. They have the ideas. uh, They have the vision. They have the strategy. My job is just to make sure that I'm out of their way and other people who want to not help them are out of their way. (laughs) Well, we're glad for that. You know, pretty has difficult as it is to run a large organization. And as you say, get out of the way of the people who need to be allowed to be free. It's it's even more difficult in a time like now. Tell us about what's going on and how it's been, how, how it's been for you in trying to adjust to this pandemic. Actually, so, you know, it's pretty challenging. So I used to pride at my ability to make decisions and choices under uncertainty. Uh, and the uncertainty, you know, being an engineer was like a range, you know, like the parameters between this and that, right? Or the choices are A, B, C. You, know, you have like graphs that you traverse to find out which path you would take. Where we are right now, Bill, this uncertainty, I don't know how to describe this. It is extremely uncertain. I don't even have, I don't even know if what I'm thinking about that is uncertain would even exist. So typically, when you think about uncertainty, you know the parameter exists. You just don't know the range or the dimension of it. Here, I don't even know the parameter would exist. And we are running a $6 billion, $5.5, billion operation. And i got to make these choices and make sure that uh, we don't go bankrupt doing uh, making these choices. Um, and it's extremely challenging. Never done this before. Uh, but having said that, uh, I think in the last eight weeks, uh, we have managed extremely well, uh, even though I had never done this before. And none of us had ever done this before. And the reason we have managed extremely well is because I think our faculty and staff literally have turned on a dime. I mean, they have responded in ways, uh, both in their own, uh, what they are doing and what they are doing for the institution in ways that are unbelievable. In fact, highly expected, but uh, a normal person would not believe that. So I am so impressed with our colleagues out here, faculty and staff. And students too, by the way. They responded very well too, students also. It, it, I mean, it's amazing to watch my colleagues respond. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the interview now from the clinic where we're seeing today all of our patients through telemedicine. And so we have, just as the rest of the university has uh, turned on a dime for educational purposes, so the hospital is largely turned on a dime yep. to make it possible for people to still see their doctors. And it's amazing. I was on the call this morning for the executive committee of the hospital, and the surgeries are going back in place. And on the call, people were talking about using Saturdays and Sundays to do surgeries. Unheard of. Uh, I don't think uh, like three months ago, we would hear surgeons wanting to do surgeries on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Pretty from great uh, difficulties come uh, not just the challenges, but also potentially the innovations. How, how will we be different as a university when this pandemic is passed? 
So I think we'll be different in many different ways. So let me just start with, I think financially, uh, we would have a strategy going forward, uh, which one would not have predicted coming into this pandemic. Uh, so the simplest being, you know, we all want nice offices and we all want to construct buildings for faculty, staff offices. One of the things I realized uh, through this pandemic is as much as people hate to work at home, uh, the efficiency, the system does not lose efficiency when some or many people work from home. So the question going forward is how do we uh, reduce or manage our investments in constructing buildings, which are really expensive and create overhead and really empower people to work from home, be flexible work hours, spend more time with their family and help them define a way of life that in the past uh, organizations did not let them define. They wanted them to come to work from nine to five, right? And this ties back to your uh, whole goal of the Compassion Institute, because this would be one way of using economics to demonstrate compassion and enable compassion <laughs> within our workforce and within the ma- management. Yeah, I mean, one of the, a work-life balance might well be benefited by more time at home. And we could go on with all the other things we're learning about ourselves. Uh, you know, the Institute is really committed to promoting well-being, empathy, and compassion to right. caring for ourselves and our and our faculty. Pretty, you've shown your ability to do that, and I and all and like our other leaders, we want you to know how much we appreciate you and how much oh, thank we look you. forward <laughs> to your leadership going forward. So, look, uh, let's talk about empathy and compassion. So, you know, if you think about the traditional role of alumni affairs. The whole idea was that we need multiple locations, alumni groups in those locations, and we need to travel these places to bring the groups together to show that we care and to give them an opportunity to think about us. Well, guess what? With the Zoom, with webinars, with the teams, we could be showcasing, uh, Bill, people like you to a nationwide audience of our alumni without spending a single penny on travel Uh, utilizing our time effectively and making connections and building relationships and evoking uh, emotions in ways that we have never been able to do before. The technology existed three months ago, but I think we were limited in our mindset as to what was possible. And now that we've been, like I said, pushed over the cliff, we are sailing instead of falling to the ground. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about where we are. I'm also very careful because I think uh, all of these issues Staying at home a lot, uh, not being able to go out at all is creating mental health issues. And we need to be cognizant of that. And again, the work you and your colleagues are doing in this institute is going to help us manage those issues very effectively. We're sure trying. And, and, you know, it means we need to learn how to be more effective masters of this technology and how to use it in ways that really bring people together, even though they're physically separated. So I, you know, I, when I, when the pandemic happened, I was pretty down and depressed. You know, we were going to be facing a six, seven, eight hundred million dollar loss. And I was wondering what's going to happen. Two months into the pandemic, with all the support I've gotten from the faculty and staff, I see more silver linings than I see dark clouds. Uh, And I think we need to be optimistic. And we are one of the most, not just innovative countries, but within the country, one of the most innovative universities uh, with a powerhouse faculty, very creative. And I think we're going to come out looking very strong out of this. From your uh, mouth to God's ear, 
And we thank you for being on the program, Pradeep, and we're, uh, we're so glad that you're here and we're so glad we're working together with you. Thank you, Bill. And I want you to know we at UC San Diego are not just concerned about ourselves. We're concerned about our community, our city, our county. And we've been working hand in glove with them in managing this pandemic and doing everything that we can to make sure the whole community is safe. So thank you, sir, for everything you do and appreciate this opportunity. Thanks back to you. Take care. Okay. Bye.